Hey guys, you're listening to Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man, the podcast where life issues and the Bible collide. We hope you enjoy today's topic and are encouraged to do some musing yourself. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we've made it to another recording session. We are super thankful to be here with you. You've come to another episode of Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man. That's Townsend over there. This is Preacher Man right here. The air conditioning isn't even having to run. It feels so good outside. The fall is upon us. I think I may only have to cut the grass one more time. I'm not trying to get my hopes up, but I'm just I'm just thinking that I'm I'm rolling the (laughs) dice on that one. Yeah. But guys, it is always an excellent opportunity to be able to sit down to have all of this stuff turn on and work. And the reason I bring that up is because I hate when I sit down. I don't know how many of you work with computers on a regular basis, but I hate when I sit down and it pops up and says, such and such update is ready to install. I'm like, oh, Lord. So (laughs) during our little pregame before I hit record, it was doing its install and it's done it and still everything works. So thank the Lord. The speaker is turned down. No beady boops while we talk. And so we're glad to be with you. Glad to have you be joining us during these sort of series that are stacking one on the other as we've been talking about having that quiet spot in your life, listening to the Holy Spirit, what all that has to do with. And today is a little of a topic. I'm what Today's 77, I think. I don't know. But I know, I know that there's no way Preacher Man got through 70-something topics and didn't already talk about depression. We did. But I, I want to talk about a different kind of depression because I, I, I want to presume that maybe this is one we don't talk about very often, it's not recognized very often, and because I recognize it's very much a part of something I still to this very day am dealing with, I think it deserves to be talked about, and especially building off of of the past couple of topics. So today uh, it is, you will have already seen the title, but the title wouldn't have told you that. Uh, in fact, the title, and I already know this, uh, future me will have already done this, uh, but it'll look. The title will make it look like we're going to do a movie review of a Batman movie. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk <laughs> about with Townsend. I want Townsend to help me make it real from her point of view because I have my point of view, and I also want to share what I think we're called to as believers in dealing with it. Given an example in the Bible that I probably already mentioned already, because I I go back to this passage to this section of the Old Testament all the time. Uh, but we're going to talk about the Dark Knight. And so that is a title of a Batman movie. And so this episode is titled Something About the Dark Knight, and that looks like a movie review. But the Dark Knight that I want to talk about is the Dark Knight of the Soul. So today I want to spend some time with Townsend and you and and share some time considering what I don't know any other thing to call other than spiritual depression. So we have physical depression, and we know how that manifests itself. I would suggest, though, that perhaps way down deeper, often from a place that we don't even like to talk about because it gets into weird things like demonization or the influence of the devil or his existence and all that. But I think our physical depression is often far more tied to our spiritual depression than we realize. Yes. And I want to say this to listener land. As he dives into this, I'm a little bit blindsided on exactly where he's going So for any of you who may listen to this and think, you know, I don't really understand or I have more questions, this is a perfect time for you to message us, get on Facebook, social media, email, 
text, call, whatever, and dive and, into this. Except your Facebook got cloned or something, didn't it? Yes, so if y'all, I'm if hacked. Y'all, y'all get some weird messages from Towns, and you know she hasn't lost her mind, I guess. It just, yeah. Just don't accept it. Don't yeah, listen to her. Don't accept any messages from me. You can send some to me. Yeah. Okay, so the dark night of the soul. That comes from a Spanish mystic in the 16th century name who's called today Saint John of the Cross. I can't say his is well, okay, let me try. I am looking at it right here. Juan de Ipe y Alvarez and God wait, it's got it Juan de la Cruz was also how you said his name, whatever. John of the Cross is how I learned him. Saint John of the Cross. He actually wrote a poem called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's very strange, actually. And uh, when I say he's a Spanish mystic, mystic in the sense of Christian history does not mean like spiritual, magical, spell-casting, mystical-type dragons and dungeons and and all that stuff. Mysticism uh, during this, this time period was very focused on that sort of spiritual connection with God. Mysticism at its core literally means oneness with the divine. So a mystic was somebody that was very focused on that, hard to put into words. They were very, the mystics were very interested in thinking about those loftier experiences with God that that weren't just, and these were all church servants like monks and nuns and and church early church fathers. So these were people helping the needy and preaching in sermons and in mass, but they were also interested in this individual encounter with God, this what they would call the union with the Eucharist, the communing with the divine. And yet St. John of the Cross wrote this poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, which he then actually wrote two different commentaries on because it was so confusing, I guess. It's a very strange poem just reading. You're like, what? But The Dark Night of the Soul is literally a recognition that there is a time in your life, there is almost always a time, if not many times, in which you encounter something that we would call a spiritual crisis. That while you are what a mystic would have called journeying toward the union, you and I might call maturing as a believer, while you're on that journey, part of that journey always involves a dark night of the soul, a spiritual crisis. Some people have had crisis of um, doubting his existence or doubting the existence of eternity. Uh, there was a very famous nun, uh, the Saint, what is her name? Saint Teresa, the child of God, something or I can't remember. But anyway, uh, she doubted eternity. And, and I remember reading that she had written to her or said to the other nuns in her Coven, coven, whatever you call that, coven, uh, com, whatever, <laughs> the nun house. Uh, <laughs> she, I remember that she she had said to them, it was in a book I was reading, if you only knew the darkness that I had plunged into. So these were faithful, believing people, and yet they were tormented by this depression, this spiritual, this dark heaviness. That it, what if it doesn't work out? What uh, you may have experienced this, I'm not going to say what you said when you just walked in the door, okay, but what you said when you walked in. You can say it. Okay, she walked in and she said, I think I'm a terrible mother. I think I'm doing something wrong as a mother. And I, now she thinks that, by the way, because she has a child that's normal. <laughs> but <laughs> but she said, okay, so 
take someone whose faith is firmly and fully in Christ, who also is aware of certain things in the Bible about teaching children, leading children, and yet when you do that and watch them go a different direction than the leading, you are perhaps in a moment of spiritual crisis. And you might ask questions like, what did I do wrong? In fact, you might make a statement like, I thought I was doing everything right. You might live for God every day, 24 hours a day, and then something so filled with calamity befalls you and you wonder, but why? Why, when I was doing everything you told me to do, and you may very well be doing it, why did that happen to me? Why did why weren't you there to stop it? And so then all of a sudden you wonder, were you really there? And then, boom, there's a spiritual crisis. This was the idea that St. John of the Cross was, was presenting, this darkness, this inability to see what was actually taking place in your life. Now, the, the good news is his point was that the darkness was the tool that God used to further push you into maturity. And then in that case, if that's the result of it, then I could look forward to that darkness, not actually let myself be overcome by it. Now, we see that lived out, and it doesn't have anything to do with his poem, but this is literally lived out for me in the Old Testament in the life of the prophet Elijah. So if I can give you a quick, uh, not probably staring at your Bible overview, during the life of Elijah, he was fighting against the prophets and the well, the, the people being led to believe in a false deity, when you read in your Bible about Baal, that's sort of a generic name, but here it was literally people worshiping uh, a false deity that, that was called Baal, and he had hundreds of prophets, Elijah said. Baal has hundreds, 400-something prophets, and, and Elijah said, but I am the only prophet of God. Well, there's your cue number one that Elijah is about to go through something difficult. He believes he's the only one doing it, okay? So... Could I offer that for some of us, if we think we're the only one struggling or we're the only one doing right, so both sides of that equation, we're, we're wrong, okay? No, no one is the only one. So Townsend's not the only person to think that she's not a good mother. Uh, preacher man's not the only one to think he's not a good father. Preacher man's not the only one to think he doesn't do it right as far as following the Lord and being faithful. Uh, you're not the only person out there in listener land who thinks you are doing it right. I mean, we're we're not as isolated in in life as we think. But if you're struggling, when you find yourself struggling with that, like you're this isolation idea, sort of that's a sign you're entering into that time period of dark, of that dark, heavy sort of time. Elijah has a contest, as it were, with these prophets of Baal. He goes up to Mount Carmel. Now you're not studying, you're not looking at a map of Israel. So let's just use roundabouts and say it's at the top. <laughs> Mount Carmel's at the top of Israel. And so they go up on the mountain, and Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar. You guys go first. If Baal sets that altar on fire, if he receives that, that, that offering that we're going to build on this altar and set it up, and if he, if he brings down fire on it, then you guys are right. I'm wrong. We all worship Baal, and I go away forever. Elijah says, but if I'm right then the same for you guys. And they're like, fine. So they build this altar. They pray, they pray, they pray. Elijah even mocks them. He's like, hey, maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe he's busy doing something else. Maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe you need to dance and shout. And they start cutting themselves and all this other stuff. And nothing happens. When it's Elijah's turn, 
if you've never heard this, the super short version is he's about to have the most impressive victory you could have imagined. And he knows it. Just like some of you, just like you, you know you're doing right. You know that you're leading your family correctly. And so he knows that God is the only God. And he knows that God will respond because now here it is. We're, it, it's time to be settled. And so he, he eggs on these people even further. And so he says, okay, take that altar and now douse it in water. So no trickery because during this time period, people believed in false deities often because they would be tricked to. Like we're tricked to believe, you know, we have today we have Photoshop and, and deep fake videos to make us believe things that aren't true. Back then they had magicians that would do tricks that they couldn't explain away and they thought it was supernatural. And we don't call them other gods, but that's what they are. Yes. We're, we're led down that path regardless if and, we want to admit and it or not. We start believing in it more than even things that are true. Yes. And so he's, he puts the wood and the stone and everything. And he's like, get me four jugs of water and pour it on the wood. And so they do. And he's like, do it again. Now, the reason he's doing that is he's preventing anybody from saying he used like a spark or anything to, to start the fire. So they do it a second time. He's like, do it a third time. <laughs> so they do it a third time, so much so that he had, he had already pre-dug a trench around it. So it's basically a moat of water around the altar that has been soaked in water. And then he prays to God and the super simple version is let these people know that's like this mega short version because he names God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am your prophet and so on and so forth. But inside of that, he's like, let them know. And so the Bible says fire comes down from heaven. It burns up the sacrifice. It burns up the wood. It burns up the stone. It, it it's obvious. Just a short time later, he's ready to just, he's, he wants to kill himself. Yes. So he had tasted this huge, great victory, and in one chapter, uh, he's threatened. Okay, so Jezebel, who's, who's in a place of power, has a message sent. Ahab tells Jezebel, hey, look, this is what just happened on the mountain, man. This is messed up. And Jezebel says, well, then you tell Elijah that everything that happened to my prophets is about to happen to him. Now, this man just prayed fire from heaven. But he's scared of this woman. And so he runs, the Bible says, to Beersheba. This is the word for the wilderness. Um, so not looking at a map of Israel, when I was a young kid and I I had heard the story of Elijah, I thought he ran like, you know, away from the mountain, just into some, you know, just hide a little bit of ways. He runs from the top of Israel to the bottom. So if you if you have any understanding of the shape of Israel and and Mount Carmel's basically at the very top. Beersheba was the wilderness south of the bottom line of, of Israel's territory. So he runs literally across the country to get away from this woman. Then he, once he runs that far, he goes deeper into the wilderness to Mount Horeb. That means the mountain of God. This is also the mountain that Moses got the Ten Commandments. He goes on that mountain, and when he gets there, he's asked why he's there. Why are you here? And he says, because I'm the only one. Everybody hates me. Look at all the things he believes that aren't true. First, he believes he's the only one. He's wrong. Everybody hates me. He's wrong. I'm no better than the people who came before me. He's wrong. I just want to die. This is the dark night. Okay. This moment in which you are led to believe things that are not true because you're stuck not being able to hear. And so I think 
I'm afraid that a lot of us live quietly in this place and spend the energy that we're given every day convincing the world and ourselves that it's not true, that we're actually okay, but we're not okay. We'll sit in church on Sunday. We're okay. We'll get up and go to work on Monday. We're okay, but we're not okay. And so you don't have to be crying in your car. You don't have to be staying up at night to be broken on the inside. Because if nothing else, as a, as a creation, we're very good pretenders, you know? Yes, we are. And we also don't like when the pretense, is that the right language? Anyway, we don't like it when we're busted. You know, we don't like it when somebody sees behind the curtain. And that's in Wizard of Oz where we get that phrase from, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He didn't like the fact that he had been found out because then you have nothing but the truth. And so it's an interesting thing when you see how God handles Elijah's problem. And this is the part I think we've discussed before about dealing with difficulty and depression. One is rest because... He, he takes a nap twice, <laughs> and he also gets fed. And so I see biblically that, and I don't mean to belittle, I, I have said, I think I've said before, if I haven't, I'll say it the first time, I take an orange pill every single day to try to help myself deal with the things I'm asked to deal with. I wasn't actually built by my creator to need that pill. But even with a well-meaning heart, I have taken things he didn't ask me to carry, and now I need that pill to do what I said yes to, not what he told me to say yes to. Exactly. And it's interesting to me that one of the, before he even speaks with God, before the, <clears throat> so at first when he's asked, why are you here? It, the Bible says it's an angel of the Lord. But before he has an encounter with God, he's required to rest and eat well. Well, we're all strung out and exhausted and we eat garbage. And so when we find ourselves, I believe, stuck in this, spiritual muck, we need someone to stop and ask us about those things. Like, are you getting rest? And then we have to peel the curtain back. You know, are you? Because I'm sitting across the microphone from somebody who I can guarantee you doesn't want to be put on blast, but I promise you my, my buddy here does not get enough rest. No, and I mean, you can watch even my social media sometimes and know that, like, I'm posting at 2.53, you know. Right. Or, and I'm, I mean, I'm tired, but come on now. I'm I a, mean, I'm it's, <laughs> it's really bad, and my mind goes nonstop. And, you know, I can tell when that happens, and I'm starting to get to a point where – um we just kind of had a conversation about this before we hit record about being brutally honest and open mm -hmm. with the with our people, you know, and for me that's in my Sunday school room and sometimes I have a hard time convincing them that what I'm saying is as is as bad or whatever as I'm saying it is. And so I have learned though that when I am very open and amongst the group of people who truly do i mean i just said this your parents like i feel like would follow me to the ends of the earth and have my back mm -hmm. i mean i do and um i said something bad about myself last week and his father said i don't like the way you're talking about my friend and so it hit me you know like it is important for you to have those kind of people mm -hmm. and like even a couple of things that i read about elijah just after i mean i just found out for sure that this was the topic yeah, when, you when i sat down 
<laughs> so I was reading a, a couple of things, and it mentioned having your your modern day angel, which would be your friends, your mm-hmm. friends in Christ, your you know your Elizabeths that you can go to, and someone that's your support system in Christ. I think that's the key word in Christ, because some support systems will hand you the alcohol or right. the or the whatever else mm-hmm. that might numb the pain, but. You know, I think that is a very important part of a spiritual a spiritual depression and the dark night being battled away. I just don't know sometimes that it's ever completely gone necessarily. Mm-hmm. And my cowgirl crew started a study about um, Babylon and talking about Daniel and some of the things that Daniel has encountered. And Babylon was bad. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we forget, you know, that... It's not just 2021 and we're bad. Like, it was bad then, too, you know. And, I mean, a lot of bad. And there really wasn't the Internet to broadcast it everywhere, but it's still everyone knew it was bad. And so one of the things that was discussed in my most recent video was the fact that real faith and fake faith look very similar to by you know passers by they're just mm-hmm. checking you out and it seems very 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 the same right and then the trial and i start thinking i'm like i have never in my life just seen someone kick back in a hammock and me be like man they love god they trust god mm-hmm. every time that i've ever had that thought about someone Man, that's a faithful person. Man, she believes in God. Man, he it's has got it going on. In the middle of it's some difficulty. in the middle of something mm-hmm. crazy. And so that hit me like that. I mean, you got to have it. You ain't going to want it. But just is, like he said, it, it's not an elective. It's that's required. exactly what John of the Cross was pushing toward. Like you yes. have to go through this because of what it produces in you. Yes. Right? Because then... Then you ha- come out with the story of this, uh, you know, I, it got popularized, and I hate to use things that have be- almost lost their meaning, but yes, I was in the middle of all of that, but God. Yes. And, and but God did this and that. And I didn't see it at the time. I didn't know. Elijah is being told to rest by the angel, waking up and seeing food given to him by God. He doesn't know what I'm being shown is that I need to rest well. I need to find comfort in knowing I've done I've done what I could do. I've been as obedient as I could. Doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean I did it all. I can't save the world. You can't save the world. We can't save the world together. But we can do what he's called us to do in that little. But he doesn't see it then, but he does later. And, you know, we don't. That That's the biggest thing you have to remind yourself if you're someone who's experiencing this. And I have to tell myself this all the time. In that moment. I ain't going to get it Mm. in that moment. I'm not going to see the full picture and it may be a real long time before I do. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend said last night, she said several, several, several years after I lost my dad, she said, I honestly thought she said, I thought we lost like this was a battle. We lost. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out how I thought it was supposed to. She said, I thought if I sang for the Lord loud enough, if I talked the right talk and I said the right things, if anyone could turn it all around for him, it was me. Mm. And when it all didn't turn around the way I thought it would, and she said, I had all the faith in the world that it would. Mm -hmm. And when it did not work out how I thought it should, I thought we lost for years. I thought we lost. Mm. And then one day it hit me. 
that was just a part of my story. Right. It, it the battle wasn't finished. It wasn't lost. It was just something I had to get through. Yeah. And you know that that's the thing is we don't people will watch. Well, we just talked about that. People will kind of watch our lives sometimes mm. and think. Well, I mean, I guess they've got it figured out. No, (laughs) I can assure you we don't. And then there are so many people who I've thought, man, they've got it figured out. They Mm -hmm. have always had such faith in Jesus Christ. They, I mean, they must be like 20 and 21 with the Lord. And then to hear them tell it after the fact, they're like, oh, no, when I was going through it, that's not the Mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. And so I think. So you ever notice sometimes we don't even want to believe them? No. Like they tell us. The truth. They're yes. giving us the truth, and we're like, no, that no, can't be. Can't they're be just true. trying to sound. They're exactly. they're trying to present a you know some some lofty version yes. that can't be right. Exactly. I mean, why do we? Do, I don't know why we do know. that. But well, you know, another thing that we do is we as humans tend to place so much expectation on the result, mm-hmm. and we tend to place so much emphasis on what we think we should be accomplishing, and. I mean, I really have. I'm sure I'll go back to thinking this in the near future because I don't ever cling to what God's telling me long term and just keep it there. But for right now, I've truly kind of gotten to a point where I'm realizing the can I thing. Hey, can you? And if it's no, then that means go on and quit dwelling on it. And if you can, then do it. But there are just simply things that the Holy Spirit has to do and the good Lord has to do that were never, ever even considered to be my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, well, he was going to let you do it, but you just sucked too bad and you right. couldn't. You know, it's You're not like he, yeah. he thought he was going to give you that and then you just weren't good enough. Like, it was never even considered that it should be my place. And so I'm over here worrying, thinking I ought to be doing this or the way, the result. I'm after a certain result. I'm after the way, a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Elijah, like you've just like called on a a rain and you've done all this magnificent stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? I mean, what did you think it was going to feel like? Like, are you just that disappointed? But we do that. Right. We think. We we need God's. We need God to reprove himself all over and over and over and over. And then when he does it, if you're, I mean, like me, you're like, I I knew, why did I not? (laughs) I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you bring a drought and then bring rain? How do you call down the fire? That's, I love that prayer. Let him know. Just let him know. Show him, just prove it. And he does. God proved it right then. So why would Elijah believe that God was abandoning him to, to Jezebel at that point? And yet there he goes. And we all on some level, we'll encounter this. And we will all need to deal with the fact on a very physical level, I don't, I mean, I guess I'm I'm mixing the mystical, spiritual darkness and the physical ramifications, but the truth is some of us, you know, we get two and a half hours of sleep. We, you know, you know people, I'm like these people, don't talk to me. I mean, I'm not really that bad, but don't talk to me before I've had my coffee well, what I'm saying is I need a chemical stimulant to even make me a functioning human. And then on my way to work, I'm probably going to stop and get some processed salt because that's largely what fast food is and another cup of stimulant so that I can do what I'm supposed to, what I'm quote unquote supposed to do. And I'm not saying that going to work is a sin. I'm not saying, but we are just finding ways to medicate ourselves out of going to the mountain of God so that the Lord can look in our face and say, why are you here? Because at first, when the angel comes and he's like, hey, what, you know, what are you doing out here, man? He's just in the wilderness. And he says, I'm done. 
that's I mean I I I have a habit of doing that. I summarize. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at it here. Uh, when the angel says, you know, why are you out here? It says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than the ones who came before me. No, but I'm finished. Look at me. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't get the people. You know, he didn't even stand around long enough to see if he would be defended. He didn't even stand around long enough to see what God was going to do. He got told a threat by Jezebel, and he's like, I'm out, fellas, and he's gone. So he eats twice, he sleeps twice, and then he walks in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So first he goes basically across the southern border of Israel. There he encounters an angel of God, tells him, the journey you're about to take is too much for you. In other words, in the condition you're in, you can't handle this. Imagine the weight that ought to come upon all of us if we thought there's more, but in the condition I'm in, I'm not ready. You know, we want to be ready. We, we were having, and there's a lot of pre-discussions that God always seems to weave together, but I made mention of Icarus, and I know for a podcast that's centered on the Bible, uh, <laughs> bringing up Greek mythology might seem a little strange, but if you don't, Icarus is the young man whose dad made him some wings and he could fly uh, but his dad said, don't fly too close to the sun, and he didn't listen, and he did fly too close to the sun, and his wings melt. He crashed and died. I think he died. I don't remember. I figured it. We do that. We do that we, all the time. We want to put on wings about, oh, I can do this. I can, oh, yeah, I can do it. And then all of a sudden, we we are too caught up and ashamed to say, hey, you know, I was wrong. And so we just fly, 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 and maybe we don't get too close to the sun, but we get too far out of our ability to control things, and then we just crash. And so, you know, there's a part of that spiritual discipline that comes through walking the dark in the darkness that, that I need to be able to hear God ask me, why are you here? What have you done or what has happened that's put us here? Um, and then when he, when he spends those 40 days and 40 nights wandering towards the mountain of God. He gets there. That's when the Lord, you know, the, the, then it doesn't say an angel of the Lord. It says the word of the Lord came to him. Uh, still sometimes a reference to Gabriel, but maybe not. Who cares? And it says, why are you here? What are you doing here? And what's interesting to me is he asks Elijah twice. Why does he ask him twice? Elijah says the same thing. What are you doing here? The Bible says, he says, look, I was passionate for you, zealous for you. I, I was I was just doing what I was supposed to do, but the people rejected you. The people rejected your covenant. They've torn down all the stuff. They're putting all the prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me. Then there's this great experience where the mountain shakes and fire comes and wind and then a stillness, and God's presence can be felt in the stillness. And then after all of that, God says, what are you doing here? Now, just as an aside, why why does he do that? Why do you think he does that? To make him think about why he's really there. I, I always assumed that it was giving him a chance to see, you know, is that really true? Now, Elijah says the exact same thing. I've been very zealous. They don't believe you. They torn down all the stuff. They killed the prophets. Now they want to kill me. Is this, <laughs> what? How come all the mountain shaking, earth shaking, quiet reminder before the question gets asked again, I wonder? And I'm starting, I'm telling you, I've been dealing with this both sort of publicly on occasion. I know it comes out in the way I speak, but also privately and quietly. And I've been asking myself on occasion why the, and please don't be, please don't cut this podcast off and think I'm a heretic, but I think why all the performance just to ask him the same question again. And I'm, 
starting to wonder if all of that was trying to remind Elijah of who it was that had been there the whole time. Like, I can shake this mountain. I can bring fire. I can also be in the stillness where you should have been listening the whole time. Like almost rhetorical. Like, think it through. Why are you here? Yeah. Not because the people, because you. Right? Elijah, you came out here because you didn't remember who I was. So short after I had shown it to everyone. What Elijah doesn't know, God says, I got 7,000 people in Israel that have refused to bend the knee. And that's a lot of people. He says, you go do... Eventually, after, <laughs> after all that show, he, he, he asks him again, why are you here? Elijah gives the same answer, and God doesn't correct him. God doesn't... Uh, God doesn't... I don't know. He doesn't have any discourse about Elijah's answer. He just says, get back to work. <laughs> and, and so... The Bible says that Elijah does, and things turn the way that Elijah had said they wouldn't turn because Elijah had forgotten that he was the reason he was on the mountain. Some of that spiritual depression that we live with is because we, yes, not not they. Uh, you know, the, I dare say all of it. Well, I mean, because there's some you can't stop your mind from going that way necessarily. But we've talked about, you know, you say, well, he made me mad or Mm -hmm. he and we have to be in control. And I think to gain the part where we say that we're 100 percent, we would be saying we could 100 percent be in control of how Mm -hmm. we feel all the time. But I know I'll never get there. There's not a snowball's chance. Me and the Lord both know that I will always be a work in progress in that area. Right. But. I think, I I mean, that you saying that hit home with me so hard is like, I dare say every time I found myself in that situation, it's me forgetting who he was every single yeah. time. And uh, I so when I was young, you talk about Papa from a different point of view. Papa is my father. And when I was young, my dad very stable man, worked the same job my whole life. Well, for the same company, uh, drove a truck, whether it was to Knoxville, Tennessee or Nashville, Tennessee, it didn't matter. Same, just steady man. And then, uh, then the man who owned the company he worked for passed away and his children sold the company to someone else who in turn sold the company off for parts. So my dad lost his job. And so, uh, I have a lot at the time, I there's no comprehension. I ha- if you're like, well, what was it like when your dad was without work? No clue. It's all the same. Dad was just home more. <laughs> I know. I don't know how hard it was to see, get the bills paid. I don't know how much how hard it was to have uh, Lucky Charms in the closet. I don't know. They ne- I never knew any of it. Okay. But now looking back, my dad talks. You know, if we talk about when he was without a job, and he made mention one time that well-meaning people. You know, wanting to talk, hey, how's the job hunt going? Because here he's got all these years of experience, but he's not some young buck at the time. And so he's going into these other truck lines and he's like, hey, you guys hiring well, you know. eh." And people that were his friends that had found jobs or or maybe just friends that were unrelated to the trucking industry, very well-meaning, he said they would say to him, there's something out there for you. Or don't worry, don't worry about it. It'll all work out. And I, he's told me before how 
angry that statement made him because I don't want to hear about how it'll work out from somebody who has a job. Does that make sense? I don't want to hear about how don't worry. There's something for me for somebody who's already got what's the, you know, whatever's supposed to be there. That, that what was well-meaning to him hurt him in the time until he got a job. <laughs> and then when he got a job, he realized, Hey, there was something out here for me. Why I'm bringing that up is if you're in the middle of a spiritual darkness, in my experience, me telling you that you will get to the end of it isn't helpful. Um, because you can't know that until you get to the end of it. Um, so when you're in the middle of it, I, I want to remind you to eat well. And I want to remind you to rest. And so if you're like Townsend or anybody else, well, I, I can't sleep at night. My mind never cuts off. Please don't turn to alcohol or not. I'm not talking about her, but anybody don't turn to some sort of addictive substance. But uh, there's this little tiny. Uh, what do you call them when it's like a, a mineral or a nutrient or whatever? You know, it's like a vitamin thing mm-hmm. called melatonin. Yes. Now, don't take it for the rest of your life, but take one and see if it helps. I have a gummy of that. Okay. Um, I went to a seminar once with an old pastor who was almost to the point of retiring by that time, I guess. And he, he said, I remember him saying, gentlemen, the calling on your life is challenging. So take care of your body and take care of your mind. And he literally was like, all of you need to be consuming <laughs> psyllium husk. Now, if you don't know what that is, it looks like pencil shavings. But he's like, you need to, you need to have healthy insights. And you guys need to take melatonin at night so that you can rest your mind for the next day. And, you know, and I'm like scribbling all these things down. So we have this bottle of melatonin at home. I can't take it because I like I still feel it the next day. So it's some powerful juju in that it little thing. It is. I'm supposed to take like two or three gummies. I can only take but one. My wife was, pulled the bottle out recently. And she goes, this says it expired in 2016. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's back from when that guy. But anyway, um. See, is there something healthy you can do to bring those things about? I know in a fast-paced world, you might be like, look, bro, McDonald's is the only thing I can get for lunch. Okay. But is there any chance that there's also a Wendy's close and you could buy a salad three times a week? Now, the other two, get the Baconator, get the double quarter pound or whatever. But could we try introducing something that is slightly more fresh and natural? I don't want to sound like some sort of hippie, but God created things we learned how to take those things and become other things. And so when I tell you that a lot of the fast food we eat is majority sodium, you know, there's a reason why obesity is such a problem and why heart disease is such a problem around here. So could we take steps? I'm, I'm saying this to the person who might be listening and saying, I want out of that time period. Like I want to move forward. David, David the Bible says that David soaked his pillow with tears. Um, the Bible talks a lot about people who went through these difficult times. Jesus went through such a dark moment towards the end of his life that he sweat blood. I mean, the suffering that you're going through is natural to existence, but it may be that the spiritual side of it is there to draw you closer to him. Yes. So this is a, well, it's been written about this poem that it's describing a path that is unknowable meaning I can't tell you how to go through it. I can't tell you how to get out of it. But what I have at least learned in my own journey of trying to move through it is that 
focusing on the things that I do, rec- you know, Mason, why are you here? Yes. Partly I'm here because I, I don't live correctly. I don't, I'm not rested. I'm exhausted. And so I feel everything emotionally. I don't, I lose my ability to have reason because I just, I'm just burnt out and strung out. You know, they, somebody once told me not to burn the candle at both ends. And I said, well, what do you tell somebody who cut the candle in half so there could be four ends to burn? I mean, what, what do you tell somebody who's put their hands in too many pots? And the answer is some of those pots have to go unstirred. Yes. And you have to do that. I literally, over the past maybe two weeks, um, my husband and I have talked and he said, you know, I think you've had like a bunch of good days lately. And honestly, at work, they haven't been good. They've been busy. We've made changes employee-wise, and they've been some of the hardest. But my little secret for the last about two weeks is um, watch the babies. And this is going to – I'm going to kind of end my little – I didn't – I wasn't prepared for this conversation, but I have been trying to watch the little ones more Mm -hmm. because when I watched – how my child dealt with loss Mm -hmm. and how she's dealt with what she knows about our creator um, and her friends too. Um, And those who don't even know that's what that is yet. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not of the age of understanding yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I watch what comes natural to them because that's how God created them. It is just very, very, very um, motivation motivational, I guess, for me mm-hmm. to replicate that as closely as I can. We complicate it so much, but the things that little kids do, you know, just like they get tired at night and they may fight sleep a little bit, but they lay with their mama or their daddy and they just kind of drift off into Never Neverland. And just the things that my child does, some of the things that we've we've been doing lately, and I shared this with my Sunday school class, are if my responsibilities can in any way involve her or kids or whatever, mm-hmm. I've tried to incorporate that in and watch. And last night I was doing laundry and she got inside the laundry basket and she wanted to be my hander, which meant she wanted to hand me right. the laundry. And so we did that. And there's been such a piece about some things. And so lately I haven't been using the melatonin. Mm-hmm. And when I wake up at night, I count her toes. And I just lay there and rub her feet and count her toes. And in no time, I've fell back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage you, whether you have your own children or not, but watch them. Because there's something so special about a child and childlike faith that they don't even know they have yet. And we complicate things so, so much. And so the dark night you know, they're going to have dark moments when the wrong juice is poured, Mm -hmm. but they don't know the dark that we know yet. And so there's something so innocent about their life that when we watch them, sometimes I think if we tried to replicate some of that, you know, we can't stay babies in our faith, Mm -hmm. but we can have childlike faith. And so I do think that would help us on some levels be able to bring about a peace and then, therefore, move forward in not getting caught up in the darkness of the world. Yeah. Well, the thesis of that whole poem, he doesn't even call it the dark night of the soul. That was added later. He just called it the dark night. But the whole 
the whole sort of point is um, sort of being guided towards God and that being guided towards him involves going through the dark. Yes. And uh, he wrote about it later and said that the whole part of it was uh, arriving, <laughs> again, missed, they, were, they were a little weird, arriving at the sweet and delicious life with God. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't ever know that I've described <laughs> being a Christian uh, as having the sweet and delicious life. But I think sweet and delicious makes me think about eating food. And I wonder that if some of us aren't stuck in the dark because we have learned to be happy feasting on the garbage around us. Yes. And so I I know that this probably doesn't make really what I hope this podcast does is make you want to listen to the last two before it on why it matters that you be still, that you have that time and that you listen intently to the third person of the Godhead. Because there are times in which we must be led through this difficulty. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I walked around it. I didn't say he, even though I avoided it. He said, though I have to walk through it, and all of us have those dark things that we have to walk through. They're kicked off by loss. They're kicked off by suffering. They're kicked off by uncertainty. And I don't know how long they all last. That's very individual. Uh, but as somebody who could join with any of you and say, that's where I found myself for for me long enough, but still I find myself, we have to take the steps. We need to journey with him through this. And so we hear him calling our name and saying, why are you here? Maybe we can work our way to saying that we don't want to be yeah. and that he will take us then from the mountain and say, now go and do this, that, and the other, and we can find, again, even looking back and seeing the joy that was in the dark. So I always hope these make sense to somebody. So if you're that somebody, I'm glad it made sense to you. Um, we appreciate you being here, and I, I do don't normally ask this, but pray for me and my partner over here on the microphones because we're out living the same life that you live and doing the same things that you do, and as we pray for you, we covet the fact that you might pray for us, that uh, our journey would be successful and sweet and delicious. Maybe I need to start saying that more. Oh, else. yes. Sweet, sweet and delicious. delicious. All right, guys, you have a good week wherever you go or wherever, whenever you've listened to this, whatever your hand is a part of, wherever life is taking you. I pray you face it with joy and that you are busy, busy showing kindness to people around you because of the kindness God has shown you through Christ. But until we see you again, this is Preacher Man, that's Townsend. We say goodbye. Y'all have a good one. Bye, y'all. Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man is a podcast dedicated to encouraging you as you think and start your own discussions at home about God and the Christian worldview. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating on the platform of your choice and share our podcast with folks you know. If you need to get in touch with Townsend or Preacher Man, you can email either of them at mtpm.podcast at gmail.com.